By the way, the last thing I would just say is that you got to find a way. You have to find a way. Networking is important. Building new relationships is important. Meeting new people is important. And so even if we're all locked down or for some other reason can't go to conferences, you must find a way to do it because it's more essential for your career. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello, welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. My guest today is Alyssa Cohen. Alyssa is the author from Startup to Grown Up, and she was named as the top startup coach in the world at the Thinkers 50 Marshall Goldsmith Global Coaches Awards. Now, if you're a long-term listener to the podcast, you'll have heard a number of episodes with Ruth Gottian, uh, also my conversations with Dory Clark, both Ruth and Dory have been recognised in those Thinkers 50 awards. And that will show you the, the level of uh, or the calibre of person who gets that, that type of recognition. Um, so that, that's a great CV to begin with. Um, on top of that, Alyssa is the executive coach for Runway, which is the incubator at Cornell's New York City campus. And she's a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, Forbes and Inc. And on top of that, she's been featured as an expert on BBC World News in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and of course now you can add to that list the Connected Leadership Podcast. I thought given Alyssa's background and, and what she covers in her book uh, from Startup to Grown Up, I wanted to look at the impact of professional relationships at different stages of a leader's journey. Uh, among our regular listeners to the podcast, we have people who run their own businesses, who are starting up their own businesses, and a number of listeners who are on that leadership journey or, or are senior leaders in larger organisations. And I think that there are differences in where we need the support from people around us and how we approach building professional relationships. There are different relationships that come uh, that become key on at different stages of that journey. And there are a lot of similarities as well. So that's really what I wanted to explore with Alyssa. And I started out by picking up that in her book, she uses uh, the terminology of champions. And that's something that I've talked about over many years in Recommended, which I published 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Uh, I talk about having champions in your network, the people who can refer you. Um, but I asked Alyssa just who were the champions in her world? Oh, well, that's a great question. So champions in, in my world, you know, I have so many, I, I'm so blessed and so fortunate to be surrounded by people who are helpful to me. And I would just say, you know, and you know, this of all people, you can be as successful as the people around you will allow you to be. So my top champions are Marshall Goldsmith, the legendary executive coach, someone you just mentioned, Dory Clark, my good friend and business partner. Um, actually Ruth as well. Um, and then I guess I would say other people. So my clients are my champions, you know, they send referrals to me because they've benefited so much from the work that we do. Um, and I would just say that anybody who I, I sort of live in this world where I feel like I'm on everyone's team and everyone is on my team. And as such, I feel like I'm in a constant fluid environment where the relationships that I am able to nourish over the years 
can help me, and I, of course, can help them as well, which, as you well know, is really the most important element of networking. Uh, definitely. And, and, you know, you talk about having those people around you to support you, and I love uh, that quote, you know, you're only as successful as the people around you allow you to be. Are you nurturing those champions with a specific purpose in mind? Uh, or are you allowing the relationships to naturally evolve and lead you where you want to go? Definitely the latter. So literally this morning, I um, had a very impromptu and very quick call with uh, a senior executive whom I had met at Web Summit. I was speaking at Web Summit in October in Lisbon, and I met her. And we've just been in touch a little bit. And then she, I was just sort of checking in to see, how are you doing? What's new? And she said, oh, you know what? Could I do a quick call with you? I said, sure. So she reaches out to me. She gives me a call. And we talked about a specific question that she had around some strategy she was operating. I was helpful to her. And we went on our ways. So literally, nothing gives me more pleasure than to like be helpful to somebody like just when they need it. And literally... I am not worried at all about what will ever come from that relationship. And also when I got off that call, I thought, you know, I make friends wherever I go. Like I went to Web Summit and I met you know, a number of people who I'm still in touch with and I'm going to Davos in May and I'm sure that that will be the same thing. And I just think it's both, it leads you to like having a glorious life to have those kinds of relationships and friendships. And also you can be super helpful. So if you're somebody who wants to serve, you can be helpful. And oh, by the way, the accumulation of all of that absolutely helps you over time. Are, are there ways in which you are more strategic in the way you build relationships? Do you sit down at certain points and say, I need to develop more relationships here, or I'm lacking a key connection who can influence this particular project? Uh, and if you are, how do you go about that while maintaining that authenticity? Right. Authenticity is so important. But of course, it's true. You know, recently, um, for some of the startup CEOs I work with, I've been thinking about it'd be nice to be able to introduce them to more and more senior executives so they get a picture of what an executive at an excellent at a world-class level should look like. So recently, I've been thinking about how to activate my network more and have people in my network who I can quickly and easily introduce to those CEOs with just a 30-minute call. So the way I'm handling that, it's like a very current situation, actually. The way I'm handling that is to kind of, you know, step back and think about how do I reach these folks and do I need to position, do I need to put myself in different situations? Do I need to use the vehicles and the network I already have to meet a number of them? So that's how I think about it in a strategic way. But at the end of the day, it is also about... Um, you know, authenticity from the point of view of building business relationships, which are good for both sides. So you, you talk about the, the startup CEOs. Let's, I, I think that perhaps asking you how you build relationships, like someone asking me how I build them, might be a bit of a, a misdirect because we both have established relationships already where we've got the support or the access to the support that we, we would need. Let's take one of your startup CEOs that, that you advise at Cornell. Um, let's say someone comes to you and they are launching a startup in a completely new world they haven't worked in before. Uh, yeah. And they need to build the right relationships in that space from scratch 
without the network to support them. How do you advise them to go about that while, you know, you know, balancing that short-term pressing need with the, the need to build relationships naturally and over a period of time um, and to be able to come across as someone who has something to give as well as just needing those relationships for themselves at the moment? Yeah, it's a very timely topic because actually somebody who, a young uh, founder CEO, he's a new founder CEO, I've known him for 10 years, so since he was even younger, mm. through this event that I typically you know, go to on a regular basis, so I've built up a lot of you know, friendships in that event. Well, he recently took on this new role um, kind of as a co-founder and now a CEO of this company, and... He reached out, first of all, he reached out to me because we've known each other for 10 years, right? So he kind of had the, had the access to reach out to me. And he was wondering exactly that. I need to build relationships in the startup world, in the VC and investor world, and also in this industry. So what we did was we got on a call and I helped him think about where does he already have? I think for everybody, you already have a network. Who does that network know who can help you? That's always a good start. Number two, you've got to think about where do these people hang out, right? So they got to hang out in some way. And so, you know, where do the investors hang out and how can I find situations to run into them? Um, where do entrepreneurs hang out? Because you really got to build his relationship to the, in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And then also in the industry that he's in, where do they hang out? So we kind of helped him think about his very short-term activities, about ways to very quickly get up to speed on those three buckets and then have a strategy to continue that, you know, that, that accumulation in the future. And it really is about like, who does he know in his network? And these warm introductions and make those calls or send those emails. And then also, are there events right now in those three buckets that he needs to think about attending? And, you know, it's like those short-term hits can be very useful. They also build momentum. And then over time, he can build that up over time. So let's, let's look at... Each side of that. So we'll come to the direct approach um, in a moment. But talking about events, uh, obviously, as we record this, the world is now starting to hopefully uh, come back to a little bit approaching normal. I don't know what it's like where you are in the UK. Yeah. I've got um, my first live talk for four months and probably only my second or third in two and a half years coming up uh, in, in two weeks' time, and uh, conferences, live conferences are starting to come forward. I've got two more overseas coming up in May and June. So they're starting to, to, to repopulate. But where people were in that space over the last two years, how did that affect them? That, the lack of that ability to go to the big conferences, to have the conversations over coffee and, and tea in between speakers, uh, for example, and how did people adapt to that? Yeah, so such a good question. You know, um, even though there were not those in-person conferences, there were a lot of things online that you could do. And in some ways, the online conference has a, an added advantage because if you're going to meet for coffee and kind of bump into people. It's loud, it's a little disorienting. Mm -hmm. Many of those conferences kind of just instead matched you one-on-one -on -one with folks. And so you had these one-on-one, -on -one, you know, quiet and focused Zoom meetings or, or kind of video meetings that you could do. So that's number one for you always to think about when you attend an online conference. In general, 
I only attend online conferences if I know I'm going to definitely run into people and meet people. The second thing is, you know, I wrote an article, two articles about this that you'd find interesting, uh, both for Harvard Business Review. One is how do you fill in those those networking opportunities when there aren't any on when there aren't any sorry live uh, opportunities. Number one, it's helpful to reach out to people from conferences in the past. You know, they're not going to the conference too. It got canceled. So can, are they interested in continuing to network? You can reach out to a number of the speakers and other folks that would have attended the conference and say, hey, since we can't go to the conference, let's have a one-on-one -on -one coffee. You can also use that maybe to even create an online coffee uh, or, or drinks, you know, sort of cocktails yourself. So again, I also wrote an article about that for Harvard Business Review. How do you create um, a virtual cocktails environment and experience so that you can actually get a lot out of it and meet new people that way? And then the third thing I would say is that even though we have been very starved for in-person opportunities, locally, if you think about really micro-local, like in New York City, when the weather was good, there were tons of outdoor, you know, meetups and, you know, different kinds of things that people were able to put together, maybe less formally, that were still safe and that you could meet people in real life um, there. So those are all the ideas. And by the way, the last thing I would just say is that you got to find a way. You have to find a way. Networking is important. Building new relationships is important. Meeting new people is important. And so even if we're all locked down or for some other reason can't go to conferences, you must find a way to do it because it's more it's essential for your career. I think that that point is is so key because it's so in, it's so easy to be the victim. It's yes. so easy to just say, well I can't do it because it's not there. Yeah. You look at people who succeed and and they're not the victim, they've always found a way uh beyond other people. And and everything that we talk about people have done successfully over this period over they over uh, over decades and longer. Um, so always find the way. Do yes. you think that we will take ideas and innovations from over the pandemic period and incorporate them more frequently into the way that we build relationships uh, as we get back to normal? I definitely think so. So if you're like most people, you were doing these things by video and then you realize that you could see your friends who live elsewhere by video. <laughs> And, you know, you could always have done that, but you weren't doing it, right? So that's my experience. Again, I was hosting cocktails, you know, every week for the pandemic for about 18 months. I and my friend, Dory Clark, we hosted um, weekly get-togethers of people by video, so video cocktails. And we could have done that before, but there wasn't the context to do that. So now I'm sure we'll do more of that because the advantage is you are not constrained by location. And you're able to bring people together who really should meet, which is lovely to be a connector, even though one's in Oklahoma and one's in, you know, California and, and one's in, you know, New Jersey or wherever. So I think that will stay. I think the notion of online conferences will there be an online component or a hybrid component. What do you think? Uh, no, I, I, I agree with you. I, as you talk about the weekly meetups, uh, yeah. we talked about. Ruth Gottian earlier, who, who was a regular guest on the podcast last year, you know, Ruth, um, through an organization we're both part of, um, has a Saturday evening catch up with that, that, that group every week. Sadly, Saturday evening in New York is the middle of Saturday, yeah. Saturday night, Sunday morning here. So I can't yeah. join, but 
um, they have that every single week, and she's really talked about that as such a a, a core foundation of of getting through the pandemic and building yeah. what I I see from from a distance as very deep relationships with that group. Yeah, you know, Andy, I'm part of that group too. So it sounds like we're part of the same group. I didn't realize you yeah. were. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, I always say, you know, I even I, I, I'm in London. I'm guessing you're New York. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these are two of the biggest cities in the world. But it's amazing how once you tap into certain networks, suddenly everyone knows everyone else, and it's even so the, even the smallest cities are tiny. When you you, you really to tap into the networks, and and I see networks cross fertilize a lot, a huge amount. So, true. so yeah, often people yeah. say, "Oh, you know Alyssa as well," and yeah, um, yeah I, I think it's incredibly powerful. So I think that type of thing will, will stay. I, I think there'll be a mix because for me. Yes, if I could join that at eight o'clock Eastern time, I probably would. Um, but I tend to be very, very selective about the online networking I do. It, by online networking, I mean the video conferencing networking, the Zoom, the Teams, yeah. uh, because yeah. I don't enjoy the big group where everyone's trying to get a word in edgeways um, so much as the one-to-one conversation. So, But I think that we've started to see ways to break that down and create a different environment. Um, but I, I do see many downsides. And the other thing is a lot of my clients, uh, and me to a large degree, will spend so much of their day on, to, on Teams and Zoom anyway. Um, yeah. we've got that fatigue setting in as yeah. we get back to seeing people in person it may not be such a hardship to then join a zoom call or a teams call um for, for a right. bit of connection so i think right. that will happen i wanted to go back to something else that you said uh earlier in, in in the original answer um and that was you talked about knowing you know we were talking about the startup ceo and how they build that network and how they build those relationships. And you talked about direct outreach effectively, you know, who yeah. do you need to meet, reach out to them. Now, it's quite interesting because a call that I had today with someone, he was asking me um, about how effective I find LinkedIn. And one of the things he was saying is that he's reaching out to a lot of potential clients on LinkedIn, and many of them are accepting his connection request. But when he tries to engage them in further conversation, they're not replying. Uh, and yeah. and I went through, you know, from my perspective, what I would do differently in the approach. But but mm-hmm. I, I'm very interested in in how you counsel uh, these startup CEOs to do that, uh, and you know how you do so in a way that people who don't know you will engage with you. And and just to caveat that, you you also talked about through introduction, which was always my first port of call as well. But yeah. this specifically would be about direct outreach without. Uh, an intermediary to make the introduction. Yeah. So, I mean, even if it's direct outreach, it's still helpful to see who's in their networks if you can find out, right, if you're using LinkedIn. And then the second thing is, like everybody, you want to write an email that describes what is relevant here in terms of, like, what what do I'm looking for from you? Also, a little praise and flattery never hurt anybody. And then also the kind of person, my background, to show that you're legit and that also your questions are sincere and that also you'll be a valuable person to be inside of their network. So putting all that into some sort of concise note is very helpful. Yeah, and and I want to pick up on that. You know, do your research first. What do you like about them? What stands out for you? And what makes you a valuable resource for them? And I think this is where people go wrong. 
is they think about what they want and what they're trying to achieve and that they fail what I call the eye test. You know, I want to connect with you because I want to achieve this and I want more people like this and I, I, I. Um, Put yourself in their shoes and reflect back to them. So, yeah, I think that's an important point. The other thing I would say on that, you talk about look look at LinkedIn and see who you know in common. I, I, I would just counsel that when you reference mutual contacts, give context. That's quite a hard sentence. <laughs> um, but when you yeah. reference mutual contacts, give context. Uh, I have so many people I don't know say we should connect because we know lots of people in common. And my reply is, yes, but I don't know you. If I connect with you, I become a mutual contact with someone else. It's meaningless unless you give that context. And, you know, our conversation earlier about both knowing Dory and both knowing Ruth, there's context within that. Uh, and I think that, that makes that a much more powerful uh, reference point. Yeah, I totally agree with that, definitely. Okay, let, let's go back to um, how relationships fit into the concept of the book that you've written uh, from startup to grown-up. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, we've got uh, people listening to uh, the call who are uh, at, in all types of organisation, all different uh, sizes. How do you see relationship building differing between people who are leaders of startups, people who are in scale-up mode, and people who, who might be internal leaders within established large businesses? Yeah, you know, the truth is that building relationships is the same. Build early, build often, right? Nurture early, nurture often. I think the question is really, who do you need to add to your network when you're in those various stages? And so, you know, if you're an early stage startup founder, you need to add to your network mentors who have been the trod the path before you, people who will be early uh, employees, certainly early investors, and other people who can help you out in the ecosystem, accountants and lawyers and, you know, those kinds of folks. So that's who you think about early. When you're at a scale up, you need to really focus on customers, on analysts, on um, people who are going to help you get to the next level and ultimately probably people in the financial world like in the U.S. Wall Street and investors because you're probably going to have some sort of event and even more increasingly high-profile executives who you know can kind of surround you and help you continue to, to grow as a leader. And then internal to the organization, you know, it's like really figuring out who are the subject matter experts who are external to your company? They're going to add value to you and to your company. Um, and whole, also you can connect into your company. Who are the, obviously the leaders and managers inside of your company who need to know you? But then also key point is to also make sure you've got strong connections with your peers and your cross-functional peers. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to get promoted, you know who decides you get promoted? It's your peers who vote for you. It's kind of like, there's little known nuance inside of large corporations, but your peers have to be able to accept you as being promotable before anyone is going to promote you. And the last thing I would say is that it's just really important to just build a baseline of folks inside of your company cross-functionally, because when you have a question about marketing or about engineering, you don't want to go through channels. You want to pick up the phone and call Wendy, because Wendy's somebody who knows that kind of stuff. So... I, I just would say that it's more most important to be strategic as well as authentic in who can be useful and helpful to you as you are in those different environments. And, and you know, one of my favorite uh, sayings that I've heard comes from, and I've probably mentioned it on the podcast before, 
uh, a lady called Carol Stone, who was the producer of, of Women's Hour and Any Questions on Radio 4, on BBC Radio 4. Uh, and she said, make friends when you can, not when you need them. And I think yes. what you've just talked about suggests a need for a little bit of forward thinking and uh, creativity, because if you just wait until you want that promotion, you can't start making allies of your peers at that point you've got to be thinking ahead when you need the help of the person in another department you can't just pick up the phone and be nice to them and then hope that they'll help you you need to have that foundation of a relationship in place first so true that's exactly right so so when people go into that role at what point do they start building relationships and how do they how do people manage that particularly in larger organizations if they're starting it at the early stage of their leadership journey, uh, or even before that, um, how do they manage the the negativity and the politics of the small p inside those large organisations? Who, who the, the skeptics and the cynics who start to see that as as playing the game? Um, I mean, I don't I don't know how to answer that from the point of view of like, yep, I'm playing the game and you're not. So see you in a couple of years, right? Um, whatever that means, you know, and I, I have a different, one of my specialties is actually corporate politics. And so I have a different point of view, I think, of corporate politics. Corporate politics really has to do with you figuring out what it takes for you to be effective in that organization to, yes, get promoted, but also to bring forward the projects that are in the best interest of the company and of your organization. So that's how I see it. There are plenty of naysayers and negative people and people who are like, you know, a little cynical inside of organizations. I think that's fantastic. The bar is low, right? So your job is to be a positive force for good in any realm that you're in. So if someone's negative and cynical, you can deal with their negative negativity and cynicism. By the way, you can also do them a favor or two or three. It's not no skin off your nose. You can also be kind and gracious to them. You know, when I think about networking and also, you know, sort of building social capital, I think about different currencies. So one currency is, of course, trading favors. One currency, of course, is your ability to give resources and budget to people. But one currency is just positivity. That you walk into a room or you show up and you're on a video screen these days, and because you're there, things get better. Things get lighter. Things get more interesting. You're positive. You're supportive. That is a currency. And so if you offer that to a negative person or a cynical person, Truth is, they will be charmed by your currency. And in any case, you'll neutralize them and they won't get in your way. So that's what I would say to that. And then I would really say the most important thing is for you to ally with like-minded people because you can move ahead together doing good things for your organization and also building your own brand and your own credibility internally. Andy's new book, Just Ask, Why Seeking Support is Your Greatest Strength, is out now. Looking at the importance of asking for help and admitting vulnerability, it is an essential read in challenging times. Order your copy from Amazon and all good book retailers now, or visit andylapata.com forward slash just ask. The idea of allying with like-minded people is such an important point. I love your point about positivity. Uh, I want to build on that and go down a slightly different line. So if you focus on being that positive person and as much as possible um, presenting the positive positive image, the positive scenarios in meetings, uh, taking 
challenges in your stride would be part of that as well, not showing your frustrations. There has to be an outlook for frustrations because they are going to be there along the way. And as a leader, this becomes even more important because leaders feel compelled. And, and there's another conversation, another argument here, but leaders very often feel compelled to hide their frustrations and the challenges from, from their teams. So how can you create in a, in a positive, healthy sense an outlook for those frustrations, for those challenges? Um, that allow you to maintain positive uh, front. And I don't like using the word front. That just feels wrong to me, but a positive outlook in, 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 in general meetings. Yeah, so there's a couple of things to say about that. First of all, you, the person you lead every day, the first person you lead every day is the one who wakes up in your pajamas. So the idea is that first of all, you got to manage yourself and get your own mindset right every day. There are many frustrations in the world, in case you haven't noticed. Many, 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 many things will throw you off your game. So I recommend first thing in the morning is writing in your journal and you can have an outlet on that and how frustrating things are. Things are frustrating. Also, doing fitness, which kind of changes up both your physical you know, chemistry and also uh, definitely gives you a lot of the feel-good hormones. And then also having a stress reduction program like meditation, like taking a walk, that kind of stuff in the morning and throughout the day. The second thing is that it's helpful to have a trusted colleague that you can super vent with, but you need to manage yourself that you don't then turn it into I'm venting and I'm getting myself all wound up. There's a difference between I need to vent for 20 minutes and get it out of my system and then move on as opposed to oh yeah, these bad things, I'm kind of riling myself up over and over. And then you're the person who's awash in negativity. So managing yourself on that and finding that, you know, sort of safe outlet is very important. And then I would also say, develop your whole life, have other hobbies, other things, because like, it's like, if work is your only focus, then the frustrating things are going to frustrate, frustrate you even more. And this is something you talk about in the book, isn't it? You got, you talk about the psychological journey that leaders uh, go on. Um, Yes. There's a few, few good tips within that. How, how does your self-image and your self-talk affect how you build relationships and how can you manage that? Well, it's, yeah, it's everything. So your self-image, let's, let's talk about your self-talk, right? You're telling yourself stuff all the time. And if, if you wonder what I mean, listen right now to the voice in your head. And if the voice in your head is saying, what voice in my head? That's the voice in your head, right? So we talk to ourselves all the time. It's important to know that. What are you saying to yourself? If you're saying they would never want to meet someone like me, or I'm too, you know, shy to reach out or whatever, whatever, then you're just not going to take as many risks in terms of building a relationship and meeting new people. If what you're saying is, which I think is a powerful thing to say, why not me? And also I have a lot to offer. They'll be lucky to get into my network. Then that will allow you to take more risks, be more bold in how you reach out to people and how you relate to it. The second thing is that when and if people say no or don't get back to you, which is normal, that happens, okay? Whether you take it personally has to do with your self-talk. Oh, see, I knew it wouldn't work out. Or like, hey, they're probably busy, but I better move on. So your self-image and your self-talk together really either expand you or limit you, and you're the one that gets to decide which it'll be. There's a lot about our ability to control our own 
responses and destiny in this whole conversation from not being a victim uh, of what stops you doing things early on to, to how you manage your self-talk. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. I, I did a self-development program a few years ago where they, you know, they talk about the voice inside your head as your rackets and, and how yes. you manage your rackets. Um, and, and, and funnily enough, that is exactly who it was with. Yeah. And funnily enough, today I had a conversation with someone where a client hadn't come back to him. You could hear the frustration. I'm going through that with another potential client at the moment. And I, I, we're both long in the tooth, um, the two of us on that conversation. We both know that it's nothing to do with us and that they've got other things yeah. going on or other priorities. But that doesn't stop you getting frustrated that you have to then put that frustration in perspective and move through it. And, and uh, so that's a very good example because that happens so often in business. It's normal. It's normal. Yeah, you got to get used to it. Now, one of the biggest challenges I see in terms of professional relationships, particularly in, in, in that startup to scale up phase, uh, is where you have issues between business partners. Uh, yes. I, I've seen it over, uh, over the years in my own family. I've seen it in my own businesses. I've seen it among friends. Uh, and, and it's a pretty common issue. Now, you've actually got a co-founder prenup which I think is a wonderful idea. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So, you know, what I say in my book from Startup to Grown Up is when you have a co-founder, you have a marriage and you have to make peace with that. So, you know, the secret to a good marriage is really having aligned on expectations and values. So when I say prenup, I kind of mean it tongue in cheek. It's not a legal document, but it is a, a, a sort of a questionnaire for each of you to fill out. Things like how do we handle conflict? What is our long-term vision for this company? What kind of are the most important things to us? What are our values? You know, what happens when we disagree? If you will have those conversations earlier, sooner rather than later, you will have a much more harmonious relationship in terms of the starting point, and also your ability to work things out as they inevitably come up will be uh, more likely to happen. What would you say over the years are the biggest um the biggest uh, spark uh, that create issues amongst co-founders? Different expectations around work ethic, lack of um, clearly establishing what are your decision rights or what are my decision rights, also clearly establishing roles and responsibilities. And I would say also not having cl been clear for yourself you're together on what your long-term vision for the company is. So you're kind of operating on a different long-term vision. And um, that that really causes you to get into trouble. And um, what about where things change down the line? Do you, do you think that a lot of these issues could be picked up very early with very clear communication at startup phase? Or do co-founders' priorities often change as the journey goes on? Do you need a review process on a fairly regular basis? Yeah, the truth is that things definitely will change. You'll change, the other person will change, the business will change. I think actually the value of the, pre, of the co founder's prenup is to open up lines of communication and help you build the muscles that you need to have those difficult conversations. I think that's what's important to it. And then, of course, you have to readdress and revisit those discussions on a regular basis. And also, especially when you get into some sort of conflict together. And you've got in your book's appendix, you've actually got scripts for delicate conversations. Now, I'm going to be totally honest here. I, I do have 
I'm asked occasionally whether I provide scripts for certain conversations. I don't because it's not my approach, but I know that a lot of people find them really valuable. So can you share some examples of the type of scenarios um, that you offer scripts for and and why does that approach work? Where am I getting it? Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you for asking. I'm obsessed with scripts. The reason I wrote these scripts actually is I was sitting there writing my book and one day I just remembered that when, you know, my clients will have these conversations and they'll finally be ready to have the difficult conversation with the person. And I'll say, and they'll say to me, well, what should I say? And I'll say, well, why wouldn't you just say, and then I'll land what they should say. They're like taking notes furiously. And I thought, oh, okay, this must be valuable. It's valuable to give someone a running start on how to get their mouth around the words in delicate conversations. So that includes how to give bad news, how to do layoffs, how to tell an employee that you're bringing in a more senior manager on top of them, what we call layering, uh, how to give difficult feedback when you're really positive about somebody and you really want them to be motivated and inspired, how to give difficult feedback when actually you're about to fire them, right? And then, of course, the most popular script, for better and for worse, is how to fire someone because people just literally don't know what to say. Is it possible to fire someone and still maintain an ongoing relationship with them when they go off somewhere else? Yes, actually, it's amazing. It has happened. In fact, one of the clients I worked with, he hired his friend, which I don't always recommend, but he hired his friend early days in the company. And they, you know, he was with the company about three or four years. And then listen, it was clear the person had outgrown the need for his abilities to grow with the company. So the CEO I was working with took him away and fired him. And it was really painful and difficult, but they're still good friends now. And what do you think the secret was there? You say the CEO took them away and fired them. Did, yeah. did the friend divorce himself from that process? And No, no, the CEO was the friend. The CEO was the friend. So how did he handle that so that they could separate the friendship and the, the, the firing? I think that, right, it's a good question. I think, first of all, that he was super compassionate because he legitimately felt bad. There's that. The second is that there's facts here, right? The facts are that, you know, we need X and Y, and you haven't been able to do X and Y, right? We need someone who's going to continue along a certain path. Seems like you don't have the willingness or ability to continue along that path. And so this breaks my heart and it's difficult to do, but I need to tell you that we need to move on. So let me finish with this then. I, many years ago, I used to have uh, a question I would ask people in in a workshop. and. People told me that it was impossible and there wasn't an answer to it. And and and, and that was, uh, I, I was trying to get them to understand what makes them trust people. And yeah. to do that, I asked them to look at people they really trusted a great deal uh, and what was it about them that they trusted, but then also to look at someone they distrusted a great deal. And what would that person have to do? in order to rebuild that trust. Now we could rephrase that into someone you have a really bad relationship with, what would that person have to do to rebuild that relationship? They were saying, you know, when they were thinking of the person they got the worst relationship with, they were saying, well, it's impossible. They can't rebuild a relationship with me. Is it it possible to rebuild any relationship or are there times when there's just no coming back? Well, that's a really good question and, you know, uh having both done landmark i would say that you know i actually stand in anything is possible but 
The question is how much, how hard you want to work on it and what is the cost of not being able to rebuild that relationship. I have seen many very difficult relationships rebuilt because, you know, it's like, actually, if, if, if I think about it, if I'm coaching someone and they need to and want to rebuild a certain relationship, that other person doesn't have to change at all. Only they have to change. And so they have to sort of accept this person for who they are and then figure out how to operate from there. But it is very helpful when both people try to rebuild a relationship. And I think it is, it is certainly true that anything can be rebuilt just from behavior change, because really trust is just about behavior change. But I think it's very powerful what you're asking. What you've been asked is, who are the people you trust and what makes you trust them? Who are the people you don't trust and what makes, them, what makes you not trust them? And by the way, you're the person that we're talking to. Be that for everybody, right? Be trustworthy and don't be untrustworthy. But um, if you think to yourself, what would this person, so if I'm thinking of the person I'm coaching and nobody trusts her or him, and you'd say, what would, what would this person have to do to regain your trust? People will give you a roadmap about what you would have to do to regain their trust, and that is enormously valuable. It's, it all comes back to communication again, doesn't it? And uh, I Absolutely. guess that lies at the heart of what you're talking about. Uh, I think that's true. Alyssa, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really great insights. Uh, and, and as I said at the beginning and I said throughout, I think this is relevance not just uh, on that journey from startup to grown up, um, but also has relevance uh, wherever you work. And there's a lot that anyone can take away from, from what we've talked about. So thank you very much. The book, if you want to wave it around for the people watching uh, yes, uh, live uh, from startup to grown up, uh, is available now at all good bookstores and some rubbish ones as well, uh, as well as the usual places. Uh, and I really appreciate you joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Wonderful. I loved our chat, Amy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Alyssa for her time uh, and her insights in that conversation. It, it's striking uh, just how much of what she talks about reflects the advice that I give to my clients and that I share on this podcast. Uh, but it's always great to hear it from a different perspective as well. So as always, I hope you found that useful. If you did, uh, please do help us out by sharing this on social media uh, and adding a rating and review uh, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, which is actually the same thing, Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast. It all helps people to find it uh, and to get more people to learn from this superb advice that we get from my guests. Uh, in the meantime, come and join us again next week when I'll have another excellent guest on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.